So have you ever had to hire a specialist for some task? Any of you ever hire a specialist? What kind of specialist did you go see? Tax person. Tax person. When you deal with the taxes, you want an expert, right? Some of you may do taxes on your own, not me. What other kind of specialist? A plumber. Absolutely. When things are going south at home with the plumbing, you call an expert. Anybody gone to see a medical specialist? You know, uh, my GP, my general practitioner, has sent me to a dermatologist, a urologist, and a cardiologist. That may be more information you want to know. I don't know. I was thinking this last week, I went to a, a district uh, leaders gathering. There were about 30 of us there, I think. And someone took pictures from the back of the room. And I was sitting in the back of the room. And so the person taking the pictures was right behind me. And all of the pictures, this is what you could see. <laughs> Clearly, I need to see a hairologist, right? <laughs> Well, this morning, as we follow Jesus, we come to the classic story that we're all familiar with, the feeding of the 5,000. And if ever there was an impossible situation that needed a specialist, this was it. And so I want you to come with me this morning again to Mark chapter 6. And I need you to do something a little different this morning. Because I've suggested on multiple times that Mark is enabling us to kind of peek in on the story of Jesus. He's allowing us to kind of gaze upon the events of Jesus' life. And I don't know if some of you have the ability to see these stories that we've, as we've been reading. Maybe you have the ability to see in your mind's eye a photograph. And you see a series of stills. Still photographs. Maybe some of you have the ability to see the life of Jesus in video. And so as we're reading a portion of scripture from Mark's gospel, you have the ability to kind of look in and see it in motion. Well, I want you to do something different this morning. Whether you're here physically in person or whether you're coming in on YouTube, I want you to do something different. Instead of looking in and seeing Jesus and his disciples this morning, I want you in your mind's eye and in your experience to take yourself from the place of an observer and take a couple of steps forward and now you're in the circle and you are one of the twelve. I want you to imagine this morning that you are one of this select group of Jesus' disciples, the twelve apostles. And I want you to imagine this morning that you are one of them, that you are experiencing what is happening rather than simply viewing and seeing this. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. I can. Okay. So I want you to come with me to Mark chapter 6. And as we read, try to begin thinking of yourself as being one of the twelve. In Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, we read this. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Remember, Jesus just sent them out on a trip, right? Back in verse 7, he called them together, sent them out. Now they're coming back. They've gathered together, and they're reporting to him all that they had done and taught. You're one of them now. Put yourself in their place. 
And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces, and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. So to understand this account in the life of Jesus, and you're one of the twelve, right? Right there? To understand this account in the life of Jesus, we need to understand the setting in which this took place. This event does not happen in a vacuum. There's a background to it. What's the background to this story? The background is this. You, along with the other of the twelve, right, have been sent out on a mission by twos. So there's six teams to two, if I do the math right, right? Jesus has called you together. He has sent you out on a mission. And his instructions were simple. Take your staff. Take no money, no food, no bag to put the food in. Take your one pair of sandals, your one tunic, go. I give you authority to heal and to cast out demons. Go. And so now you've been gone on this mission. You have been engaged in preaching repentance. The kingdom of God is at hand. You've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You have been healing people. You have been casting out demons. People have thronged you. You have been busy from morning till night. This has gone on for, we don't know, one week, two, a month, six weeks, I don't know. But you have been out. Long days, short nights, no money, no food, depending on the resources of others. Jesus said, hey, if people receive you, you stay there. If people don't welcome you, take your sandals off, shake off the dust, and go someplace else. You've been gone on mission. And you come back. And you report in to Jesus. And you tell them stories about what you've experienced. People that were healed, demons that were cast out, people that responded to the message. 
You've come back after being gone for several weeks. You've been walking the whole time. Probably little sleep. Busy all the time with throngs of people. And you report back into Jesus all the good stuff that's happened. And Jesus says what? What's his message to them? What's he recommend for them? Rest. It's time for a little R&R. Let's go away to a quiet, secluded place. You're one of the twelve. How are you responding to that? Oh man, that's what I need. We're going to go off by ourselves. We're going to rest. We're going to be able to eat and enjoy some food. Maybe there'll be a jacuzzi. We can rest our tired legs. That's the backdrop to this story. And so Jesus is ready for R&R, and they're still getting surrounded by people. So what do they do? They get in a boat. Why did they get in a boat? To get away from all those thinking people. And so Jesus puts him in a boat, and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Wind in the sails. Just the 13 of them, Jesus and the 12. It's time for rest. It's time for recovery. It's time to kick back, rejuvenate, and be ready to go forward. And so they get on the boat, they get to the other shore, and what's happened? All these people have run around the lake and have beat them to where they're going. And so they get out of the boat, and there's all these people. And they're thronging them. What are you feeling? Get back in the boat. Let's get out of here. What are you feeling? Are you frustrated? Are you annoyed? Are you maybe a little angry? And it's in this setting then that now we can view the situation of the feeding of the 5,000. And so, how does Jesus respond? He doesn't put them back in the boat like you wanted, Janine. What does Jesus do? He stopped. He had compassion. And he taught the people. You're one of the 12 guys. How are you feeling now? More irritated. More annoyed. More upset. This is supposed to be rest time. And so Jesus is teaching. And the scripture says it's quite late. Quite late. Matthew, in his account of the feeding of the 5,000, says it was evening. Luke says it was the end of the day. So, how late is it? Well, the end of the day, if I take Luke literally in the Jewish calendar, when did the day end? Six o'clock. And then the new day would begin with the evening. And so, if it's the end of the day, it's quite late. I'm assuming we're talking, you know, the sun's starting to set, it's going down, it's getting close to 6 o'clock, and the disciples are saying to Jesus, you need to send these people out of here. This is a desolate place. 
There's no Panera Bread. There's no McDonald's. You need to send these people back to the villages and the cities. Why? So they can buy. They can buy food. It's late. Call an end to this. You know, send the people away. So the disciples clearly see this as a problem, right? This is a problem. We're supposed to be on R&R. We're supposed to be going to rest. We're supposed to be kicked back. You know, I was looking forward to that jacuzzi tonight. Send the people away. So the disciples saw a problem, but Jesus saw what? Opportunity. Jesus saw this as a magnificent opportunity. (laughs) And so here's these thousands of people. The passage says 5,000 men. And if we assume that some wives and children were there, that number could expand to 15,000? 20,000? I don't know. I'm guessing somewhere in that range. This is a large crowd. And Jesus sees... This is opportunity time. The disciples want to send the people away. You're one of the twelve. You're in the group telling Jesus, send the people away. Send the people away. So Jesus has a solution. Right? So Jesus has a solution for this this problem opportunity thing. And Jesus' solution is what? What what are Jesus' exact words in your text that he said to the twelve apostles, including you? What are the exact words that Jesus says to the disciples? You feed them. And in the grammar of the original language, the strong emphasis of that statement is on the first word. The word you. You feed them. Have you ever thought about the fact that what Jesus was asking them to do in that statement was impossible. Tom's nodding. So I got at least one person who says, mm-hmm. You're one of the twelve, and Jesus says to you, You feed them. You feed them. How are you feeling now? Well, how did the disciples respond? What's their solution? Lord, if we had 200 denarii, it wouldn't be enough to feed these people. Now, a denarius was roughly equivalent to a single day's wage. So 200 denarii would be equal to 200 days' wages. Right? Right? I, I told you I'm not a math person, but this isn't too complicated yet. And so, 200 is a little more than half of 365, right? 
The average wage, I did research on this this week, if we can trust our government, the average median wage of the uh, adult may, uh, wage earner in the United States of America is $57,000 plus a year. So, if you had, in round numbers, because that's how I do math, if you had thirty grand, wouldn't be enough to feed this multitude of people. Especially at the prices Panera charges. It's just not happening. And so the disciples are, are living on this horizontal plane. They're giving a logical answer, right? We, there's, oh, by the way, <laughs> how much money do you and the other of the apostles have? Zero. Zero. Not a. You got sent out on a mission by Jesus, and he told you, don't take any money, don't take any food. You've returned. How much money and food do you have? Zero. And so Jesus says to you, you feed these people. No money, no food. Impossible to do what Jesus asked them to do. And I don't know that I've ever really thought about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in exactly these terms. That what Jesus was asking them to do was impossible. They did not have, they were not, they did not have the skills, the resources, the ability to feed 20,000 people, right? So what, what was Jesus hoping for? What kind of response was he hoping might? They've been, you've been with Jesus for a year and a half plus. You've seen him do the miracles. You've heard him teach. What was Jesus expecting your response to be when he said, you give them something to eat? What was Jesus expecting? Okay. And I don't know that I'm right. But as I thought about that this last week, wouldn't it have been wonderful? You're one of the twelve, right? You're one of the twelve. You're in the circle. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if your response to Jesus would have been something like, Lord, you know this is beyond my resources. This is beyond my skill. This is beyond my capacity to do anything. But Lord, I've seen you heal the leper, heal the blind, I've seen you heal a paralytic, I've seen you cast out demons, even a legion of demons, right? I've seen you raise the dead. Somehow, Lord, it occurs to me that this is a situation, for you, this is going to be a piece of cake. Somehow, I just think you, you've got a solution for this. And I'm just going to step back and trust you to do what's best. Wouldn't that have been an awesome response? <laughs> and so Jesus, Jesus <coughs> says, how many loaves do you have? And of course, if you remember John's Gospel, Andrew finds a young boy with five loaves and two fish and brings him to Jesus Maybe his lunch, I don't know. And you're still one of the twelve, right? You're still in this group? 
And so you're, you're there with Jesus, 15, 20,000 people, and Jesus starts breaking these loaves apart. I don't know what that looked like. I mean, a loaf would have been about this big, a fist, two small fish. And Jesus is breaking these loaves. And so does the, when he breaks off a piece, does it just grow a new piece? I don't know. But somehow, Jesus broke five loaves and two fish. And you, along with the rest of the twelve, play what role? You're the distributors. If you were at Panera, you'd be, well, Panera doesn't serve you and wait on you. You have to go to another place. But he enlists the twelve as the servers. They're the waiters. And they're carrying the bread and the fish to the people. And the text tells us that, that Jesus kept breaking loaves after he blessed them. Kept breaking the loaves, breaking the fish, handing it out to the disciples, and they're distributing it to the people. You're one of the twelve. What, what, what are you thinking now? What are you feeling now? And then when everybody has eaten, everybody is satisfied, what happens next? Go go gather up the fragments. And so the disciples go and they gather up all the fragments. And the scripture tells us how many basketfuls were left? Twelve. How many apostles are there? Twelve. Baskets? Apostles. Is there a point being made here? Oh, by the way, if we read the text really carefully, we would have noticed that these apostles, when they came back on their, from their mission and came to Jesus to report, and he's preparing to take them for R&R, the scripture makes a very simple, clear statement that they had not had time to eat. <coughs> So now guess what? Got a basket full of fish and loaves. Our God specializes in things thought impossible. Our God specializes in doing the impossible. And so if you have an impossible assignment from Jesus, or you have an experience in life that seems to be impossible, guess what? You have a God who specializes in doing the impossible. That ought to at least create one of those hallelujahs that we were being asked for earlier. Our God specializes in doing the impossible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is that amazing or what? Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. Sure, Lord. But Jesus was able to feed them. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus could have fed them without five loaves and two dishes? (laughs) Our God specializes in doing the impossible. 
know if you've ever faced an impossible situation in your life. I think of a lot of different kinds of seemingly impossible situations. I don't know what would come to your mind. Seemingly impossible situations. I think of medical conditions that are seemingly impossible. I think of medical conditions like Parkinson's. My father had Parkinson's when he passed away. I think of medical conditions like ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. My mom had ALS when she passed away. I think of medical conditions like a massive stroke. I visited a friend of mine just three or four years ago up in Oregon that had suffered a massive stroke years ago, wheelchair bound for years. The the impact of that uh, just staggered me when I saw him. Impossible situations. What about financial situations that might be impossible? What if you got a tax bill from the IRS, surprise tax bill, saying that you owe several thousand dollars, you don't have several thousand dollars? Impossible situation. Or you have a car accident, your car is totaled, your insurance is inadequate, you don't have enough money to replace it. Or your home is damaged, fire, flood, or whatever. Not enough money to replace it. Impossible situation. You might experience a kind of loss in life where a a friendship has been fractured. There's a prodigal child in your life that's wandered away from the Lord living an immoral life seemingly impossible situation loss of a job can't find work seemingly impossible situation I don't know where this pandemic thing fits into that spectrum of impossible there's been a lot of tough tough times during the, the pandemic Our God specializes in doing the impossible. And I see that so clearly as I'm with Jesus and encountering this experience of watching him multiply the loaves and the fish and feed all these people. So what should you do when faced with an impossible situation? What should your response be? What should your reaction be in an impossible situation? Beyond your resources, beyond your skills, beyond your abilities. What should you do? Pray. Amen. That's at the top of the list. That's on my list. And so... Some suggestions that strike me as I, as I think about this passage. The first word that occurs to me is the word focus. What are our eyes on? 
We just sang a song as the worship team led us about our eyes being above the waves. It's easy in the middle of a seemingly impossible situation to stay focused on the waves. To stay focused on the problems. To stay focused on the difficulties. I have a sneaking suspicion when Jesus started breaking those loaves and fish, the disciples were all focused on, guess what? And they're focused on Jesus breaking loaves and fish. When we encounter seemingly impossible situations, where should our focus be? On Jesus. Our focus should be on our King Jesus who specializes in doing the impossible. That's where our focus should be. We looked briefly last week at that passage in Hebrews 12. And we looked briefly at the description as the author of Hebrews presents this stadium and we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that have gone before and we're on the, we're on the racetrack, we're running the race while these all watch and cheer us on. Perhaps a reference to the Hall of Heroes in chapter 11, people like Moses and Abraham and on and on the list goes. And we're running this race and in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, it says, seeing then that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race before us, laying aside every encumbrance and the sin that entangles us. Lay that stuff aside. Looking unto... What's the next word? Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our focus has got to be on Jesus. I think the reference in the song that we sang about the waves, I think that probably has reference to the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter looking at the waves, right? Peter was fine when he was looking at Jesus, but what happened when he looked at the waves and thought thought about those waves? What happened? We've got to keep our focus on Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a health issue, financial, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, keep our eyes on Jesus. The second thought that I had, what do do we do when we face seemingly impossible situations, is pray, ask, keep on talking to Jesus. Keep on looking for his help. He is the answer. Jeremiah 33.3, I was told years and years ago, is God's telephone number, right? Jeremiah 33.3 says, Don't you know God's telephone number? (laughs) Call unto me, and I will do what? Answer you, and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Amen. James 1.5 says, if you, have, if you lack wisdom, ask. God gives freely. He doesn't withhold. Ask, ask, ask. In James 5.16 it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman, right? The effectual fervent prayer accomplishes much. 
And what's the illustration that James throws in to that statement that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much? He points us back to Elijah, and he says, Elijah prayed for three years that it wouldn't rain. God's judgment. Prayed for three years that it wouldn't rain, and guess what? Didn't rain. And then, through the leading of God, he prayed for it to rain, and what happened? Deluge. The effectual, fervent prayer. You see, you and I have a God who specializes in doing the impossible. We need to be focused on King Jesus, and we need to be talking to Him, pouring out our heart to Him, telling Him our concerns, our heartbreaks, our sorrow, asking Him to intervene in work. The third thing on my list Uh, I wrote down the word time. Keep on faithfully waiting for God's time. His time is always right. His time is always best. His time is never in sync with my time. That's how it is is in my life. Waiting on the Lord. That's a theme that is repeated over and over and over again, especially in the Psalms. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. A verse that I love a lot is in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, Those who wait upon the Lord will, first of all, do what? Renew their strength, and they will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary, they'll walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Focus on Jesus, keep your eyes on Him, be talking to Him, and faithfully wait for him to do what only he can do. Because our God specializes in doing the impossible. That's what he does. And then the fourth thought I have as I think about difficult, impossible times in life. Focus, prayer, timing. And then I wrote down to myself the word remember. Remember all of the great things that God has done in the past. Recall to mind the times when God acted. He performed. He answered prayer. He showed up. He was there. Has that ever happened in your life before? In the difficult times, the seemingly impossible times, remember what God has done before. And if you need help, I've got a book to recommend. If you take your Bible, you will discover our God who specializes in doing impossible stuff has left us a record of a lot of impossible stuff. Like what? Parting the Red Sea comes to mind like right away. That whole experience in Egypt, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. Who was responsible for that? The God who specializes in doing the impossible. They conquered the city of Jericho, going in to, to conquer the land. Who was responsible for conquering Jericho? Was it their seven laps around the city and blowing their trumpet? It was God. He specializes in doing the impossible. What about a young girl named Mary having a baby without ever knowing a man? (laughs) 
God does the impossible. Just review the Gospel of Mark or the rest of the Gospels for all of the, the miracles that Jesus performed. Our God specializes in doing the impossible. And so it's good to go back and remember what God has done. That read for us earlier the 135th Psalm. And as many of the Psalms do, they, they go back and call to mind the miraculous things that God has done. In the 135th Psalm, it went back all the way to Egypt. It talked about rescue from Egypt and God conquering some of the kings along the way to the Promised Land. You and I have a God who does what? Specializes in doing the impossible. Let's try that again. Our God specializes in doing the impossible. Do you believe that? Our God specializes in doing the impossible. (laughs) So are you facing an impossible situation right now in your life? Some of us are. Seemingly impossible beyond our capacity, our scope, our skills, our ability. Some of us are are facing impossible situations that appear to be beyond the scope and abilities of the medical profession. If you're facing a seemingly impossible situation today, I've just given you four suggestions. Focus, pray, time, remember. Maybe one of those is where you need to start. Maybe you know someone who's facing a difficult, seemingly impossible situation. You might come alongside that person and encourage them today with the simple truth that our God specializes in doing the impossible. Those idols in the 135th Psalm that was read for us earlier... Those idols are capable of doing nothing. Zero zip zilch. Ears that don't hear, mouths that don't speak, no breath. Our God is different. Right? Our God specializes in doing the impossible. So put, put your situation, your loaves and fishes, into the hands of Jesus. Because he is able, more than able. Because he does what? He specializes in doing the impossible. There's a little chorus that I love. I find myself reminded of it, reminded of it often. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in the impossible. He does the things others cannot do. And so we embrace that truth this morning. Whatever your life circumstance is today, 
Our God specializes in doing the impossible. Lord, I am so grateful this morning in the circumstances of life that you are more than able, more than equal to the task, more than sufficient for the moment. As the Apostle Paul reminded us, you were able to do exceeding, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask of you. And I'm grateful for that reminder this morning. That you specialize in doing the impossible. And Lord, I pray this morning for those of our church family that struggle and suffer this morning with circumstances that have overwhelmed them, circumstances that discourage them, circumstances that just seem unbearable, (coughs) circumstances that they wish were different. I pray that you would draw near to that one and bring a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of help. That you are the God who specializes in doing the impossible. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not on the waves. Help us to trust you. Help us to seek your face in prayer. Help us, Lord, to remember all that you have done. All of the great demonstrations of your power, your might, your strength. Remind us of the simple words of the prophet Jeremiah when he said, Ah, Lord God, you created the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. And so, Lord, remind us that if you're capable of creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing... You're capable of handling whatever comes our way. So help us this morning in our heart of hearts to embrace the simple truth with thanksgiving, with joy, that our God specializes in doing the impossible. Help us to embrace that in each of our lives is my prayer this morning as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
right? Yeah. All right. Well, I think I think uh, Beth mentioned Pauline's birthday this week, so a big uh, shout out to Pauline and her birthday. You'll notice if you read your bulletin that uh, once a month we try to highlight kind of a servant of the month and we're trying to kind of give thanks and appreciation to those that are behind the scenes. Oftentimes you don't see them, they don't make much noise. Well, this month we have someone that makes a lot of noise. And uh, just a, a reminder is uh, we tried to highlight Matthew, our drummer, a little bit. If you read that carefully, he plays trumpet too. I didn't know that. Yeah, so someday we got to get him up here with his trumpet and really make some loud noise. Um, ladies, just a reminder uh, this week is the Karis Women Paint Night, and uh, they're looking forward to being together Saturday evening doing that. Information in the bulletin. Friday night. Okay, good. So that was just a test. Make sure <laughs> Anyway, Janine has some samples in the back. You'll see kind of examples of what you're going to be painting, what you're going to be doing as your fellowship together. So Friday night, uh, come and be a part of that special time of the fellowship and sharing together. Our youth group is back together on Wednesday night now again. So that's a good thing. Our junior hires and high schoolers are together. I guess they call them middle schoolers now. But uh, anyway, uh, the Lord is at work. In Grace Brethren Church in Norwalk. The Lord's doing some good stuff and He wants to do more good stuff. I believe that. And so, what I want you to embrace this morning, you probably have guessed this already. What I want you to embrace this morning as you go out these doors, that whatever you face this week, whatever your experience is, be confident of one thing. And what is that one thing? Our God specializes in doing the impossible. Embrace that and live it this week before a lost world that needs to know King Jesus. Have a great week.